Another Way to Play, Episode 75. There's a difference between passion and purpose. I'm passionate about what I do, but why I'm passionate about it is the purpose I've been put here to do, which is to help other people go through this very difficult thing that I've gone through myself. Hi, this is Jim Nelson. And Renee Agredano. We're the founders of Tripods. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Trezina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the nine-to-five rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest, or should I say guests, is a husband and wife team, Jim Nelson and Renee Agrogano, uh, founders of the tripods.com blog website that services the three-legged pet owner community uh, in a really interesting way. They talk about in this episode how their dog, Jerry, at the age of eight, uh, had a bone cancer diagnosis, had a leg amputated as, as an effort to ease pain and take him into his last days in comfort and ended up living for almost two years uh, while they decided to travel around the country and uh, see what else was out there. At the time, they were running a marketing and printing business out of their home in Mendocino County and gave them some really interesting perspective when their dog got that diagnosis. And uh, from that, they created a community around other owners who are going through a similar thing, created products to help make that transition easier for people and generally ebooks, other resources and foundations for the niche of that community. We get into both their motivations as well as some of the practical business stuff that they did to become uh, fairly successful, how they decided to actually live in an RV and literally travel all over the world. So they call themselves digital nomads because they literally travel in an RV and just move from place to place whenever they feel the need to. So that's a, another lifestyle conversation we get into. And then lastly, we talk about the passion conversation. And I know this comes up a lot, but I found it to be really interesting because they brought it up as part of why they get satisfaction of what they do. They make less money now than they once did, but they have a better sense of satisfaction out of their life. And we get into what that means for them and, and how someone can go about potentially applying that to them. Before we get into the episode, if you get value out of this, which I'm sure you will, especially if you're a, a pet owner, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review because it really helps me grow the channel, grow the show, um, and gives me some really great feedback. I really appreciate those. I love reading them. So thank you for that. And uh, also obviously helps boost the algorithm so that we get in front of a few more people. So without any further ado, here is Jim Nelson and Renee Agrigano. Jim and Renee, thank you so much for being on the show. Really excited to have you on. 
great to be here. Our pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, well, absolutely. Thank you for reaching out and thank you for sharing your story. So I'm really excited to share it with the audience. And before we talk about you know, what you're doing now, uh, let's, let's back up and just build a little bit of context about how you get there. Where did your journey really begin? You know, Renee and I first met in San Francisco. I was working in Silicon Valley in the dot-com heyday, middle management on that typical career path. And I had a, a coworker that said, you got to meet my roommate. And um, we met there in uh, San Francisco. And prior to that, um, I was just kind of going along that career path because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. And when they wanted to promote me to a marketing communications manager, I almost didn't want the job. I just wanted to do my graphic design job. I was more of a creative kind of guy. And then I realized what the job paid and I was kind of mm-hmm. going after it for the money. And, mm. and that's where it took off for me until I met Renee. I was kind of on a different path back then. I was working for a nonprofit and I went to school to be a journalist, but um, was never uh, in that position to actually make a living at it because I had so many student loans to pay off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was kind of fumbling around trying to find jobs that would, you know, make me happy and pay the bills, which was a little bit tricky back then. Um, But just never quite fell into the track that Jim was following. Interesting. We have a two very different perspectives here, which is interesting that you ended up together. So, Jim, your coworker introduced you to Renee, and then was it kind of an opposites attract moment, or, or I'm imagining <laughs> uh, maybe based on your description, it sounded like you were leading uh, very different lives up until that point. Business-wise and career-wise, yes. But we shared a love for the outdoors. And she was very outdoorsy. And we would go for bike rides over the Golden Gate Bridge up to Marin. And she would kick my butt. And <laughs> Well, here, here's how it really went. I hung out with kind of a, a wild crowd back then. I lived in the hate and um, mm-hmm. had a lot of really good times. And Jim was this, he, look, he didn't look like he was conservative. He had long hair. He looked like a hippie. But I wore the shirt. Yeah, he wore the, the dockers and the collared shirt back then. And, mm-hmm. and my friends were like, who is this yuppie you're going out with? Oh, my God. Um, but I, I knew that that wasn't really him. Once I realized this was going to be a thing and, and we fell in love and we decided to get married, um, we were often going for weekend trips up to, you know, up to the Trinity Alps in California and out to the mountains and taking that drive back into the city and just hitting that traffic and getting back into that grindstone was always like we needed a vacation to, you know, recover from our vacation. And on one trip, you know, we were at the point where we were starting to look for property and we realized what we could afford in the Bay Area was shared walls under the flight path. And we were on a trip up near Eureka, California, when we realized we could get acreage with multiple buildings on it and redwood trees. And on that six-hour drive, I had the idea that, hey, we should move to Eureka. And I took, uh, my gears started spinning and said, how could we do that? And I took my graphic design capabilities and, and with Renee's business administration talent, we started up our own business in a rural Northern California town, six hours from Silicon Valley. And we were doing full service marketing communications, graphic design. I found out there was no large format printers in the area. So we bought a big three foot HP printer and we started designing and printing and producing graphics, floor graphics for 
you know, supermarkets and trade show displays were a big thing back then. But all of our business was still down in the Bay Area because I was still living that, you know, fast paced life, but we were in a slow paced community. So I was often traveling down to the Bay Area and serving clients all around the country. So you were doing the mega commute before the mega commute was a thing. <laughs> right. And I can imagine that that probably uh, wore on you a little bit over time. But, but it sounded like, I mean, I guess before we get to there, I'm curious about your headspace around that move up to Eureka from both of you. Is You had grown up in these very urban spaces. That's where your careers, your friends, your jobs were. And then, boom, you go up into you know, basically the Northern California forest and mm-hmm. by acreage and have a very different lifestyle. Like how did you manage the move just mentally? And like, how did you decide to pull that trigger? You know, it was quite a switch. Um, we had heard about other people who had made a similar move up there, um, urban refugees uh, from the tech industry who went up there. And this was way back. I mean, we're talking 98, 99. And I knew that if they could make a living from up there, so could we. We just had to figure out how to do it wisely. And one of the ways was we had to keep our contacts in the Silicon Valley. We knew that that was where the money was. It wasn't going to be in Humboldt County, which a lot of the locals, everybody really refers to as behind the Redwood Curtain. Once we moved up there, we found out that, yeah, it's really true. There's a reason why there's only two roads in and two roads out to that area. And people like it that way. It's very isolated and and very slow paced. And for us, it took a little while to get into the groove of things. Um, Jim used to scare the local business people. (laughs) He was so wound up and so fast talking and, you know, he wanted to get all all kinds of local business going on up there too. But the locals are pretty afraid of him for a while. I was going to say that because, you know, I came from the mindset, you know, my mentors in my company would slam open a door and and literally pound a desk with a sledgehammer because that was the name of one of our hard drive product and shout and get things done. And it was go, 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 get it done, make the big contract and move on. That's kind of what my clients expected. And they, you know, they're doing trade shows and they need collateral overnight. I would get it done for them and they would pay top dollar. So when I started to take that approach with the local clientele, it really didn't fly too well. But interesting. The best thing about that move is that, you know, I had been living this high-paced, stressful life and then trying to grow our own business was very stressful. On the other hand, it was kind of a work hard, play hard because at our doorstep was, you know, an hour to the mountains and 15 minutes to the beach and we could go, those camping trips that would take a six-hour drive before, we could do every weekend. So it was really made up for it. But I was Mm -hmm. still kind of focused on growing that business and getting it done and making the money. So it sounds like when you got up to Humboldt County and you started to get into the pace of life, there was, there was another shift coming for you because you, the way of the Bay Area was not necessarily flying up there and they weren't taking to it quite the same. And perhaps you got into that culture as well, but I'm hoping that you'll elaborate a little bit further on that. There certainly was. And I did start to slow down and appreciate what was around us, but really not until we got our dog, Jerry, because that's when I started to realize, you know, there's more to life than just slaving away so hard. And I was away on business at a Macworld conference um, and events led us to getting a guard dog because my truck was actually broken into the night before I had a big 
presentation and someone stole my portfolio and someone in the middle of the night called Renee back in Eureka. And by the time I got home, it was like, I want a dog and I need a guard dog. And I finally caved in up until then I was, Oh, we're too busy for a dog. I don't have time for a dog. We need to grow our business and have more time later. Not that we really needed a guard dog up there because, I mean, the community was so mellow and we had great neighbors and it was the first time that we actually knew our neighbors. I mean, when we mm. lived in San Francisco, we lived in an apartment building with you know, 100 other units and we didn't know anybody. And up there, our neighbors looked out for each other and said hello on the street. And it was just this crazy idyllic kind of life that we had never experienced but I did get lonely because Jim was going to the Bay Area so much and mm -hmm. when the truck got broken into I was like I was really scared I thought oh my god this person has our spare keys they, they're gonna come up and rob us who knows so I, I yeah. did convince Jim to to go look at dogs we got Jerry as a puppy from the local shelter and before too long we started calling him our CFO our chief fun officer because at five o'clock, he would know the sound of my computer shutting down. And if it didn't happen at five, you know, five fifteen, he would literally nudge the keyboard with his nose. And at lunchtime, you know, he insists we go take breaks. And that's when I started to realize, okay, you know, I'm working this hard for this reason. And then we started, you know, working hard and playing hard and taking trips with Jerry and going on longer hikes and really starting to appreciate what all our efforts were getting us. That leads to an interesting question and just the whole concept of what you just brought up over the last couple of minutes about getting a dog, like we will do it later. We'll, we'll go take the vacation later. We'll go enjoy later. We'll go whatever later, right? And through the process of getting this dog, you talked about taking breaks and I imagine it sort of forced you not only to live a more rounded life, but possibly, and I guess I'm asking, did you find that you were maybe more productive in the time that you were focused and working as a result of that? Or did that take some adjusting as well? You know, I'd say, I think it took a little bit of adjusting. I mean, as somebody who was running the business and doing 50 different things all day long, you know, it was kind of like I, I was torn between always wanting to be with my dog and just go hang out, but making our business grow. So in the big picture, he taught me how to look past the work that was right in front of me and remember what's important. What it did for me is make that productive time more pleasurable. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I would still be slaving away and I'd turn from my computer and turn around, you know, print something out and start cutting it out and making a little box. And all I would have to do is kind of over at Jerry, who you know really didn't care what was going on. But really what illustrated it most was we'd get upset because clients would be demanding. And sometimes I'd slam down the phone and Jerry would literally get up, walk out of my room and go into Renee's. And then she would cuss out her software and he would get up, get out of her room and come see He's me. He's very sensitive. So he was very sensitive yeah. to what was going on and kind of opened our eyes to realize this is ridiculous. Why are we... Why are you making such a big deal yeah, out why, of such why, a dumb thing? Yeah, there's, there's much more to life. That's such a fantastic realization. It's something that I think a lot of us, especially who live in those fast place areas, are probably guilty of without even realizing it because it's, it's just the norm here to be stressed mm -hmm. out, to be trying to cram, you know, 12 hours into a 10 hour day and, mm -hmm. you know, just all of the above. So Jerry comes into the picture. He, he's promoted to CFO. 
And then you start to have these realizations of like, you know, why are we being so stressed out of these things? And then how do we sort of balance our time better so that we can enjoy the beautiful place we live, but also get the things done? You know, where does that realization take you? So we were still on that path of growing this business and uh, we were expanding and we actually bought a large Victorian two-flat level thing. We went from a small house to 3,700 square feet, bought more equipment, more overhead, and we were getting to the point of our business where it was time to hire sales help. And if I hired sales help, I need a production help or vice versa. Jerry was eight years at the time, so we got him as a puppy and we grew that business and expanded into the large operation. And it was about eight years later when we really got a slap in the face and took another major shift. Jerry had uh, started limping early in the year and then as the year went on, he went on a hiking trip with us and when we came back, Jim helped him out of the truck and as soon as he hit the ground, he yelped. And we were like, well, that's weird. I mean, this dog's totally healthy. What did he just do? And we thought, oh, he just pulled a muscle or something. And took him to the vet. The vet says, oh, he's got arthritis. He's just getting old. And we're like, he's eight years old. What? He's totally fit. But anyways, he gives us some medication. We go home. Weeks go by. He's still kind of limping around. We get more medication. Try this new one. That, that'll fix it. That didn't fix it. And then one day, Jim's petting him while he's laying on the couch. And Jerry lets out this crazy squeal, just this awful noise. Almost bit me. And we realized there's something really serious going on. So we took him to a better vet and got the diagnosis. Our dog had bone cancer and he had six months to live if we were lucky. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So obviously terrible news, especially when you've raised a dog as a puppy and he has been such an integral part of your personal and your business lives. Where do we go from there? That's got to be just an unbelievable pill to swallow. You know, we owed everything to this chief fun officer that we love so much. And at the time, we didn't even know dogs got cancer. And the vet who was actually willing to say, I don't know, suggested we go to UC Davis. And that's one of the top leading uh, veterinary teaching hospitals in the country. It was five hours away. And we got there and they said, sure enough, it's cancer. And if we could take off this leg, he'll have better quality of life. And that's what we wanted. He was actually under for an MRI when they said, okay, we can take this leg off now, maybe a couple weeks, or we could just not wake him up. I wasn't ready for that. So we quickly said, yes, you know, we were scrambling, trying to find information online. And then we came across a YouTube video of a three-legged Great Dane digging up a gopher. And we thought, if that dog can do it, Jerry certainly can. And even if it's going to, you know, only buy him a few more months, at least they'll be pain-free. So, Mm -hmm. On Thanksgiving Day, 2006, the vet came into the hospital and walked Jerry out. We thought he'd be on a gurney with tubes, and and Jerry had a smile on his face. He was no longer Mm. in pain. And we realized, you know, okay, where do we go from here? We have limited time with Jerry now. And Renee had this crazy idea one day. Out of the blue, she says, we should sell the business. We should sell the house. We, we should buy an RV. We should travel with Jerry and give him all the time that, you know, we took from him over the past eight years. And honestly, I just kind of said, okay, without even thinking of it. Cause I was at the point I was getting burnout and I didn't want to grow the business. And now I didn't want to drive, you know, six hours for chemotherapy over the next six weeks. And Renee in all her glory 
planned and budgeted for a year off. So the goal was to take a sabbatical, travel with Jerry, enjoy the time together, and just go on this super long vacation. And he ended up living two years. Wow. Two years. He's given a diagnosis that's a couple months and two years later, what do you attribute that to? So I believe a lot of it had to do with the lifestyle he lived. It was a new adventure for him. We were always going someplace new. Now I know it's a gamble. You know, every dog is different and every case is different. And some dogs do live a few months and others last a great number of years. But we didn't, at that time, we did not up to do the IV chemotherapy. And we decided to just go, you know, I thought Jerry would let us know when he gets sick again. You know, we were told amputation gets rid of the pain, but not the cancer. The cancer will mm-hmm. come back. So we were ready for that to come back anytime. And over the next year, we had traveled through the Great Lakes region and Arizona and up to Maine and down to Florida. Along the way, we discovered a thing called work camping, which is what some RVers do in exchange for rent uh, for a space to park. You put in hours at a campground or um, we did it at a farm and we used it as a way to investigate other things we might do and this road trip was a mission to check out other areas where we might buy a new business or start a new business. And we thought we might be farmers someday. So we worked on a farm and checked that off the list. We thought we could start an animal rescue someday. So we worked on an animal rescue and that lasted a couple weeks. Um, We worked at a hot springs resort and later we worked at a, a guest ranch where we returned to work there eight summers in a row. And it was at about 16 months out when we were going for a routine checkup with Jerry back in California and the vet said, oh, when's the last time you had x-rays? Because cancer returns to the lungs. And he said, it's better to know. And all along, I didn't really want to know. And he said, well, we should do it. And we agreed, let's go ahead, take a look. And at that point, we discovered the cancer had returned and it was actually growing pretty fiercely in Jerry's lungs. And all those fears came back, that fear and certainty and doubt. And Renee, again, you know, we were on the road. So she found a great oncologist in New Mexico and we went to Santa Fe and we were there and, you know, got some prescriptions for what we would do next. Wow. It's incredible that it took you for one that you just decided to do that and you were both willing and in a headspace to go, go tackle that. I mean, aside from Jerry for just a second, because a lot of the people listening to this are business people are interested in becoming, you know, better in some way, you know, can you talk through your decisions to sell the business and actually take the time for yourselves, do the traveling and not wait as we talked about earlier? Jerry's diagnosis was the first time that we put the brakes on everything. Like up until then, the business came first for everything. We never slowed down. We never took a solid like two-week vacation like everybody else. You know, we would take little bits here and there and, and go have fun, but it was never like this long period of time that we would go somewhere. And when he got sick, we just finally realized there's so much more out there than we can imagine. And it's not all right here on our desk or on our computer or with our clients. Um, so his diagnosis forced us to reassess everything in our life. And we had talked about doing something different. And so his diagnosis was the thing that pushed us over the edge. I just told Jim, I said, we need to figure out 
what we want to do. Life's way too short. It was like the first time we realized it. At the same time, we had a couple of friends who had gotten sick. One of them had died. And we just said, we weren't even 40. We were like, what is going on here? If this is the way life's going to continue, then this isn't for us. We need to, we need to do something that makes our hearts happy. So the whole purpose of that sabbatical was to explore other avenues for things that we thought we might wanted to do later. And the entire time we thought we would just take some time off with Jerry, go give him the road trip that he deserved. And when he was gone, we would go and revert back to the default life. We would go find Mm -hmm. a a new business that would make us happier than the last and a a new place to live that was going to, you know, keep us, keep us happy and adventurous and all that. So it was a nice opportunity to clear our heads and think about the future. And we even started writing stuff down in a book. And every time we'd go somewhere, we'd assess new towns and look at the businesses. And that went on for for about the first year. We just kind of kept looking and we kind of kept going, well, hey, Burlington's great, but wow, winter there sucks. And Colorado's awesome, but yeah, I don't, I still don't know if I want to do winter. And after a while, we just kind of went, well, like, why do we have to have a business in one place all year long? And we started looking at things that we could do to support ourselves and yet maintain that quality of life that Jerry had given to us in, in a very roundabout sort of way. I mean, it took a cancer diagnosis for us to find our happy place, I guess. So nowadays, you know, being a digital nomad is a thing. I mean, that's all the rage. Mm-hmm. And there's so many YouTube channels about digital nomads doing this and that and how to make money on the road. And we were kind of doing it before we knew it. We started blogging about Jerry at tripods.com to tell people, you know, just follow our travels. And, and we started a live work dream blog so that people could see where we are but we still weren't making any money. I mean, between mm-hmm. you know me being the marketing guy, I was still trying to do the affiliate link this and, and you know sponsored content that. But um, we were still kind of hemorrhaging our savings that we planned for this one year thing. And even with the work camping going on two years, you know, we started to figure out we need to actually make some money here. I was speaking at a blogging conference about how to you know build community online like I've done at our website. And I sat down, we were at a mixer and I, I sat down and talked to this woman and she said, what's your business model? And my jaw kind of dropped and I looked at Renee and she was sorry eyed and I realized, well, we operate on the freemium business model. I offer a lot of free content and you can pay for extra value added this and that. And I had been doing it without even realizing it. And at that point, we realized, okay, well, let's turn this into a true business. And we started selling um, helpful products like assistive devices and harnesses for dogs in needs, dogs in need. And we started developing information products. So we wrote the, our first of now three eBooks on the tripod site and, and one on our Livewick Dream site. And money started to roll in enough that we kind of had a lot of irons in the fire and we could start focusing on the thing that took off, which was tripods. And by building community, I mean, I started a blog and I had one dog with one type of cancer. And people started emailing us like crazy. And I was answering all these emails. So I installed discussion forums. So we created a platform where people could actually ask each other questions and talk to each other about pugs with mast cell cancer and Great Danes with osteosarcoma. And what made it all worthwhile was being able to help people. 
that's when we realized that that's what we want to do. We don't necessarily want to just sell products, which, yeah, we do want to do that. I mean, it's, it's one of the many revenue streams that we would like to keep coming in. But being able to help people and get them out of the scary place that we were in when our dog lost his leg made it all worthwhile. It was like this total discovery purely by accident. We just discovered, we like doing this. This is great. Let's just keep doing it. We're not getting rich from it. And we're probably never going to make as much money as we did with our first business. But it's making us happy. It's really when we found our purpose. And that's when I started to feel more fulfilled in what I was doing. I was no longer, you know, working for someone else. You know, even if I was, you know, designing things for someone else, it was for them and, you know, helping their business. But by helping other people go through what we went through, we had purpose to keep doing what we were doing even after Jerry passed away. This is, this is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. The purpose question is something that comes up. I ask on many, many, many of the podcasts whether, you know, the question is basically, do you think it's important to follow your purpose or your passion in business and then the money will come? Or do you do something that, you know, pays you well and then build a lifestyle on the back end so that you can go enjoy your purpose or your passion you know, in your spare time, so to say. And you sort of just answered answered that, I guess. But I would like to say, do you have a, now that I've sort of flushed that out a little bit more, do you have any more to add relative to what the audience can take away from it? I believe personally that there's a difference between passion and purpose. We can all follow our passion. And for a lot of people, that passion is the almighty dollar or that product that they've developed. And for me, it's all about, the why, at least the fulfillment and the feeling of at the end of the day that I've done some good is why I follow that passion, why I'm passionate about something. And that's what the Japanese call ikigai, which is, you know, your purpose, your meaning in life. So I'm passionate about what I do, but why I'm passionate about it is the purpose I've been put here to do, which is to help other people go through this very difficult thing that I've gone through myself. And when I said I was talking at you know, a blogging conference, it was about you know, building a niche community. And I told people, um, if, if I can do what I've done here with you know, 1,500 three-legged dog and cat blogs and 15,000 registered members in a niche as specific as pet amputation, you can do it for whatever you're an expert about. And everybody's an expert about something. They know more mm-hmm. about something than other people. And You can chase after your passion all you want. I love to write. I can chase after that. I can go after 50 different clients and 50 different subjects, but nothing makes me happier than helping people, which I found is is my purpose. I didn't even know it for years and years. But everybody has a purpose. And even if you don't have a passion, it's okay. It's okay if you don't know what your passion is. If you have 50 different things you love doing and you're not sure... The bigger question is, what's your purpose? What makes your heart happy and makes you want to get up and feel good at the end of the day? That's kind of where the key is, where you need to start looking if you haven't created that perfect work existence for yourself. And I think the the way people can do that if they're kind of lost is just to ask that question, why? Why do you want to do a certain thing? And then fulfill that purpose to meet your needs. I've brought this up before 
and I'll bring it up again since we're on it now, but asking why and, you know, most people when they ask a why or they even go a couple layers on that, you know, why once or twice or three times, like trying to unpack to get to the roots, you know, the first couple answers are typically from your head, right? Like their mm-hmm, mm-hmm. logic, their brain, their brain driven. But if you try and go down to seven, you know, six, seven, eight layers, Dean Graziosi would say seven is the perfect number for that. But whatever you got to do to get mm-hmm. a little bit deeper and start to have those answers come out of the heart, that I find, and it sounds like that's what you're talking about, like those are the things that really fulfill you and might lead you in a direction that isn't um, towards the almighty dollar or selling a widget or, you know, climbing the ranks of whatever company or corporation or industry and then finding an alternative niche for three-legged pet amputee owners and creating a community around that. And so thank you for really bringing that up. I'm really struck by the, you know, just the sort of heartfelt nature of what you've created and, and how applicable it is to all of our lives. It's so true. And thank you because it took, you know, my heart and soul dog passing away for me to answer my why question. After he passed away a few months later, we had this community going, we were selling helpful products and eBooks and someone asked us, are you going to keep tripods going now that Jerry's gone? And it was just kind of a no brainer. It just dawned on us that, well, yeah, it's what we have to do. And we call it his legacy. Get it? Mm-hmm. Le- legacy. <laughs> There's your fourth <laughs> leg of, of your That's right. right That's there. it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love your puns too, by the way. Those are so good. <laughs> Man, this has been great. Thank you for sharing your story and for just talking about the path, but also some of the business decisions and just the strategic life decisions you made along the way. You've really added a lot of value so far today. I want to respect the rest of your time. So I am excited to get into the focus five, which is the same five questions Mm -hmm. I ask every guest at the end of every show. Are you ready? Certainly. Sure. First question. uh, What book have you gifted most often? Me personally, recently, has been our book, Be More Dog. We've, we've given that out and our pet amputation handbooks are often given to people in need, but Renee has a- I have given away Dave Ramsey's book, Total Money Makeover, more times than I can count because his philosophy of being debt-free changed our life as far as our financial situation. And anybody who will listen, I can tell them just- stay out of debt and you will be amazed at the doors that open for you. So that's my favorite book to give to people if they haven't read it. If you could get an hour of somebody's time past or present live or dead and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? And not necessarily about all the spirituality business that he's known for, but most recently, he's talking a lot about meta-human and what we are becoming and you know how we're much more than just this physical shell. And mine would be, this is probably really cliche, but Oprah Winfrey. I'm amazed at what the empire she has built. And I just don't know how many extra days of the week she has to do it. I'd love to find out. Excellent answers. What is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? I believe we can actually talk to our animals. And it's a matter of listening to them. And a lot of people think that's woo-woo, but I believe we can do that. 
And I would say that um, mine is that having kids does not make your life complete. Jim and I opted out of having kids and a lot of people will say, well, you, you know, your, your life will never be as great as ours is because we had a bunch of kids and I, I'm here to say, no, that's not true. I think our life is pretty awesome without them. Well said. If you could tell us a little bit about your morning routine, how do you guys start your day? So we both have pretty much the same morning routine. It's just a matter of fighting about who's going to get up and go first. Because we tend to get up very early. We're now running marathons. We're training, training for our third marathon in May. So a lot of those mornings are spent getting up and going for training runs, whether that's a long run or some speed runs. And we'll come back and depending on the day, we'll do some yoga or stretching. Every morning we meditate. Um, we use the Headspace app every morning we do that together breakfast is usually a smoothie of some sort maybe some power green smoothie or but always lots of uh, fruit smoothie and then we head to work and he forgot one of the most important parts of our morning which is walking and exercising our dog Wyatt of course we do have a new dog <laughs> we Spoiler do we have a three-legged <laughs> German Shepherd named Wyatt, who uh, rules our world. And um, we pretty much structure our workouts and our morning routines around him. And then it's on to work. And we will, you know, check for orders first thing, check in on the forums, check in on the live live chat, and uh, take it from there. Excellent. Um, Guys, thank you so much for being on the show today. What is the best way that the audience can connect with you online? Certainly. We, we wear all these different hats. I'll, I'll real quickly just share that you know, our book, Be More Dog, is available at bemoredog.net. And that really kind of tells the story of how we turned our passion and purpose into a full-time labor of love, which is Tripods. And that's tripods.com, spelled with a paw in the middle, P-A-W, tripods.com. And tripods.org is the uh, foundation that we formed. And to support all that, And we blog about nomadic travels and location-independent entrepreneurs at liveworkdream.com. So thanks for letting us share all that. Absolutely. Well, that is all going straight down into the show notes. So um, you don't have to remember every single pun that they have, but you can find it all down in the show notes. Just think dogs, paws, and tripods. It's all there. Jim, Renee, thank you so much for being on the show today. You guys have really brought a very unique story to the podcast and to the audience. And I thank you very much for sharing what you have. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. That wraps it up for today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you got value out of that, and you want to connect with Jim and Renee, head down to the show notes and hit them up on tripods.com. I've got all their social links as well as their websites and the links to their books and all that good stuff down there. And if you want to connect with me one-on-one, the link to my calendar is in the show notes. So you can take a few minutes, get on my schedule and have a one-on-one phone call with me. I do love having those calls with you guys just so I can keep getting to know who's listening, how I can make the show better, and just connecting with people because that is what this is all about. So thanks in advance for taking some time with both of those. And I'm going to log it off for today. So without any further ado, this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. 
For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.